You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Francie. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. The show is brought to you by our advertising sponsors, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and our newest sponsor, Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision-making skills. We have two guests today. Our first guest is here in the studio. He's Anthony Geralami. Geralami, yes. Geralami. I've been practicing that for five minutes, ladies and gentlemen. You call yourself a broadcasting professional. But anyway, I'm excited to have Anthony here on the show because he's managing partner of his own legal group, and he's an expert in helping middle market companies develop new revenue streams through exporting, and I'm very keen to have a conversation with him about that today. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for the opportunity. Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about your background, kind of your path to owning your own law firm. Well, sure. Um, As I grew up, one thing that always interested me was international affairs. I always wanted to have a career that had an international dimension. As a kid growing up in San Diego, I learned Spanish at a very early age, and that kind of opened up a whole uh, new other world to me. So I always wanted to incorporate an international aspect to my to my career. So when I got out of law school, I, I took the, I would say, the path least traveled. I didn't hmm. become a, uh, a summer associate at a law firm. I went abroad. I started developing contacts with, uh, with people in Spain. So when I got out of law school, I ended up doing a legal internship with a firm in Madrid for a year, which was a great experience. Um, when that was over, I ended up coming back to California, and I couldn't find anything even remotely similar to what I was doing in Spain. I worked in civil litigation for a couple of years and absolutely hated it, but uh-huh. still always networking. And through my networking processes, I was able to find a, a, a new position with a company in Mexico City called Grupo Ica. And I was in Mexico City for about five years. And while I was there, I learned the whole infrastructure business, because this company was the largest one of the largest companies in Latin America for the development of basic infrastructure. Hmm. We're talking roads, dams, bridges, airports. And they were very active, not only in Mexico, but in the rest of Latin America and in Asia. So the first six months that I worked at the company, I was in Malaysia working on a large hydro project. Look at you, huh? 20-some-year-old Right, yeah, mid yeah. mid twenties, maybe uh, after actually, law no, I school. I just turned thirty. Oh, you turned thirty. Oh, well, you were an old man by then. Indeed, huh? yeah, seasoned, experienced guy. Yeah, so um, you know that was a great experience. Uh, uh, with this knowledge, I was able to get a job in New York with a large international law firm, uh, Sherman and Sterling. So I was with Sherman and Sterling for about five years, and during that time, I'd learned Portuguese. And when the firm decided to open up an office in Sao Paulo, Brazil, I was part of the team uh, to do that. So mm. I, I lived in Brazil for three years and got great experience working in the oil and gas area, and restructuring of troubled assets, and any sort of cross-border. Uh, a lot of U.S. banks lend to projects in Brazil, so sure. working on those types of transactions. So all of this experience um, was great. Uh, I ended up moving back to Mexico City 
in about uh, 2006. My my wife was from Mexico City. She had some serious health issue and mm. wanted to be close to her family. When she finally succumbed to her illness, mm. we moved back to San Diego. And I took that as a sign from the universe that it was time to, to open up my own shop. And okay. that's exactly what I've done. And what year was that? 2009. 2009. September 2009. 2009. So you've had an opportunity to live in quite a diff- quite a number of different cultures, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. When people say that I have an Italian uh, last name, they think I'm part of the Witness Protection Program. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that if you no, were. No, but n- not exactly. You my, certainly couldn't tell. My me. real name is Miguel Suarez. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wanted in 17 countries. Exactly. Interpol yeah. would uh, we'll probably be at the... In well, the lobby. Hey, this is beaming around the world, so you never know who's listening. Yeah, you know, just we get, getting Interpol. We get 30,000 so. people looking at our website every month. Well, okay, so let's talk about your legal group now. What do you specialize in? How are you different? Why do clients seek you out, and what type of services do you provide for them? We are a, a biz, international business law firm. By that, I mean we help U.S. clients who want to do business abroad and also international clients who want to do business in the U.S. Okay. And that's in a number of different areas. It's in general corporate. It's getting entities formed. Uh, it's uh, cross-border transactions, any sort of uh, contract that's involved, be that a distribution agreement, a licensing arrangement. Um, we also work, uh, my particular background is project finance, where we can work with a project sponsor to get a project, such as a wind farm or solar uh, project, uh, developed and financed. Uh, I also work in real estate, helping uh, U.S., uh, excuse me, a foreign mm-hmm. purchasers of real property come to the U.S. and purchase property. And uh, also work a little bit in international arbitration. So I think we're very different in the sense that there is real-world boots-on-the-ground experience right. working in international jurisdictions. And that time I spent living outside the U.S. was key to developing great working relationships with local counsel. So anytime a client needs a – if they have a matter outside the U.S., they have a single point of contact of myself putting together a team of lawyers both in the U.S. and abroad who can – deal with all the complex aspects of of these particular matters it seems like uh your career up to the point where you started your own firm it sounded like you were almost an expat as much as you were living either in new york or in the states somewhere is that is that a fair assessment between mexico sao paulo i think you said malaysia i am yeah malaysia for six months i was spent about six months in argentina as well so so you you really were uh practicing law or what you're in in other countries so you know what you speak yeah it was usually the u.s aspects of a transaction abroad okay um, for example i'm a i'm a foreign legal consultant in brazil with the brazilian bar association because you can't practice as a brazilian lawyer unless you take their bar exam and okay. things like that so okay things being controlled but i still maintain my my uh, my registration in brazil i appreciate you putting a finer point on my words because i know i'm talking to an attorney here ladies and gentlemen we must be specific especially around uh, what we're talking about i understand you're expanding into mexico brazil and latin america is that your direct your firm or is that how you're helping your clients to grow their business it's largely how we help our clients as i mentioned i have a great uh, network of we'll call them strategic alliances with firms in mexico argentina and in Brazil particularly, where if a client here in California needs to do work in um, in Brazil, I call 
you know, upon two or three different law firms, and depending on the issues, they are able to to assist. So again, single point of contact, being able to do a cross-border transaction with very low stress for the client. I guess that's another benefit of your experience is by being in country for extended periods of time, you did get a, a local sense for the different business acumen of maybe the local attorneys and lawyers and law groups that are there to be called upon too, right? Certainly. Um, and these are folks who I had worked with on deals when I was uh, working and living in country where you actually develop a very close working relationship and a high level of trust. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's key to me. And I wouldn't refer a client to work with somebody who I didn't absolutely trust. Is San Diego a good residence for this type of, I guess you're not going to say no since you house your business there, but I'm, I'm just curious, is San Diego a good location for the type of international law that you're practicing? I'm going to uh, uh, say no. Um, uh, the reason why I moved back to San Diego was mainly for family reasons, uh, okay. but it's been a challenge. And um, you know, San Diego is a beautiful place to live, uh, but it's not a financial center. So there isn't a whole lot of high-level uh, finance. Uh, As compared to, say, New York, where you were. Exactly. New okay. York, and to a lesser extent, Miami. Uh, okay. Miami Makes sees sense. a lot of influx from Latin America. Uh, clearly, California has more of a presence towards or a vision towards Asia and northern Mexico. Right. So most of my work uh, internationally is coming outbound from Brazil, uh, and it's also uh, involving northern Mexico. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I'm so excited because we're going to take our first commercial break, Anthony. When we come back, I want to get into international business as it relates to middle market companies and how you're able to help them to grow their revenues and, and expand their businesses. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after this break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willie of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we're a bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely. 
ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. And welcome back to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Frenzy. Our first guest is Anthony Garolame. He is the founder and managing partner of his own legal group, and we're talking about export law and his background. I'd like to thank our sponsor, I mean our listeners who download our show as a podcast. In the past 30 days, you've downloaded over 12,000 podcasts, and we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. As I said, all of our shows can be heard live here exclusively on octalkradio.net. Or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, or other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's get into the idea of doing business abroad. C- can you share, Anthony, kind of or discuss some of the challenges when dealing with international clients? I mean, are there differences and maybe even similarities with clients from different countries? Sure. I think the the greatest challenge is managing expectations, because if you have a U.S. client who hasn't worked abroad, uh, there's always an expectation of, uh, and, and perhaps a little bit of hesitance, and, oh, yeah, and, and on the same uh, time for, the, for foreign investors dealing with U.S. clients. Um, what I found is, in, particularly in, in Latin America, uh, a lot of time has to be spent getting to know pers- a person on a personal level. Uh, many businesses are still family-run. Mm-hmm. And unless you develop a rapport with the patriarch of the family or the CEO of the company, you're really not going to get deals done. Where Americans and Northern Europeans, they want to fly in, talk about uh, you know terms and conditions right away, get a deal done as quickly as possible. And Latin America takes a little more finessing, and that can cause a little bit of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you know that going in and work with the right people, you say you know you're going to need to sit down on them more than one occasion. And have a face-to-face. Uh, people are going to ask you very personal questions. So, you know, who's your family? How did you, you know, get to where you were going? And that aren't necessarily business topics. But right. once you develop that personal rapport, then you're in. And, you know, you, you have this great opportunity of, uh, of really developing. And I think the business community, particularly in Latin America, is, is very increasingly sophisticated. Most of the people that you're dealing with are, are the elites in their country, They've had U.S. or European education. Right, that's what I'm thinking. They went abroad for an education. Absolutely. So. And, you know, the Latin Americans are real experts in financial crisis management because they've had more crises than we've had. And, you know, they've always found a way to to, to come out about it. Okay. So, you know, language is an issue. If you, if you even attempt to speak a little bit of their language, 
you gain their respect, and it's just an easier way to to gaining trust. Mm-hmm. So, okay, those are some of the differences I think. And then you have time zone differences, right? Especially if you're dealing in certain parts of South America. I mean, you can certainly you can have, from the West Coast at least you can have some pretty dramatic time zone differences with Brazil, etc. Indeed, uh, it it fluctuates between six hours and four hours depending on when they're on daylight savings time and when we are. So yeah, that's that's a challenge as well. Okay, so our audience are. CEOs of middle market companies, can you kind of help people to understand if you want to take your business products or services to an international market and uh, talking with you brings a certain experience and background, I think a lot of CEOs don't even consider exporting products because of what they don't know they don't know or what they've heard. Give us a 101, just an overview for those CEOs that may be interested. Help them to get a toe in the water as far as the mentality of what does it take to be able to be successful in conducting export and international sales? Well, first of all, take comfort in the fact that Made in America is is a great brand. Okay. Uh, people abroad, if you want any proof of that, go to any departure lounge, going to any flight to Brazil. Uh, every Brazilian is buying eight or ten iPads and iPhones and things like that. They love Made in America. So... Uh, getting into an international market, there are lots of resources available for folks to, to do that. Assuming that you have a good product that you want to sell abroad, uh, contact the U.S. Department of Commerce. They hold trade shows all over the place where you can come exhibit your pro- product, and they get people from all over the world. That's how you start developing some of those early contacts. You can also call the trade missions at any place, any market that you're particularly interested in. They have a commercial attache in the capital of the country who's there to uh, to identify and help you find potential partners. Hmm. There are also chambers of commerce. Uh, for example, the, 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 the U.S.-Brazilian uh, Chamber of Commerce is excellent. They have a great uh, uh, facility in Sao Paulo, Rio, and Campinas, where you can, um, you know, they, that's what they specialize, is putting the, you know, Brazilian buyers of U.S. products and, and vice versa. Uh, the World Trade Center organization is also great. So once you have your product in place and you know what market you want to go into, uh, there are a number of resources available to make that an easier process. Mm-hmm. I think the largest uh, component of export is the, is the uh, Export-Import Bank of the United States, the, the Exim Bank. Uh, Exim has a number of programs, particularly to help small and medium-sized companies to export their products, either through a direct loans to a purchaser, so they can actually purchase the U.S. goods. Okay. Loan guarantees that would allow uh, for um, a, a a commercial bank, such as Wells Fargo, to issue a loan to a purchaser um, subject to that particular guarantee, or to provide the U.S. manufacturing manufacturer with a, a working line of credit, so they can ramp up to take care of the the increasing demand from their from their exports. Is it more expensive to do business internationally? There are additional costs okay. involved um, when you're dealing with an international transaction. Uh, there's typically two sets of lawyers. Uh, we we try to document uh, transactions using U.S. law. Okay. And if there are any local issues, for example, collateral issues, we rely on local counsel to take security interests or to arrange for letters of credit, uh, things of that nature. So there's we usually have um, you know two sets of lawyers to deal with uh, particular uh, laws involved and that may also be required for two different uh, uh, consultants uh, on each side but you can also have 
probably the ability to price it at a different level, too, so you could probably cover it. I'm sure you're very able to cover those increased costs through maybe a different pricing model, too, by shipping it internationally and exporting your products as well. Uh, clearly, and most of... Uh Depending on the tax regime, the U.S. has a number of free trade agreements mm. all over the world, so that certainly comes into effect uh, when you're considering uh, export. Uh, for example, the United States and Brazil, we don't have a, a bilateral agreement for on double taxation or a free trade agreement. So Brazilian purchasers are, are used to having to pay a lot of taxes on the import. Mm-hmm. The products still sell because, again, that Made in America moniker will goes a long way towards towards the public there. Okay, so the public's willing to pay a premium for Made in America. They absolutely Maybe. are. Okay. Is it rigged against you? If you're a U.S. manufacturer and you're trying to ship overseas, do you have to be worried about people taking advantage of you? Or do, to your earlier point, are there people that are actually genuinely there to help you? I think everything depends on your initial due diligence and who, okay. you, who you're dealing with, okay. and that's the first process. It's uh, if you if you do if you talk uh, with your contacts in the community about who is so and so and what they do, you can either find out that they're a great guy or they're the largest marijuana producer in Paraguay. Um, so <laughs> it really runs the range, but you have to ask the question. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, you know, I've been dealing with people for over 20 years, and these are people who are just as capitalist as we do. They want to make a dollar or a peso or a real, and they're, and they're willing um, you know, to put in good business practices because they know at the end of the day that's what sells product and that's what keeps their brand alive um so you know i think the business fundamentals are are fundamental anywhere how we go about it is is perhaps uh, uh, a product of 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 each local jurisdiction Uh uh-huh so we've been talking a lot about product manufacturers shipping can other companies service companies uh, project-based companies construction firms are there other business middle market ceos that are listening that aren't manufacturing companies that should consider exporting and international sales as a way to grow their top line sure um exim also covers services for example if you have a a travel agency that sells packages to people abroad who who want to tour the napa valley or something along those lines you can get a a, an Exim guarantee to cover those particular uh, payment uh, default risks. Um, on the project side, uh, we have the Overseas Private uh, Investment Corporation, OPIC. Uh, OPIC provides financing to, to U.S. companies or, or U.S. project companies who want to develop projects outside the United States, particularly in emerging markets. Um, they'll typically finance up to 40 or 50 percent of the project costs of a mm. particular project, or 75% of the costs of an expansion. Um, actually, an Orange County company, uh, Sambason, uh, was the recipient of, a, of an OPIC loan over the last 12 months that allowed them to expand their existing acai uh, berry plant in northern Brazil. And that's been a real success story. And I think that's a clear example of how a small company that's that's built its brand right. and then tap into these particular resources to expand. Okay. Um, so what is, would you say, that are the top benefits to a middle market company who's looking to grow and they decide to put the energy into growing through exports versus growing through more sales in the same here in Orange County. I mean, you've seen it. You've helped companies export. What? What? Why would a CEO take on learning all this 
about international and exporting. What's the reason for that? What's the benefit? Well, I think anytime you develop a new market uh, or a new stream of of revenue, is it goes to your bottom line. At the same time, uh, getting to that point, using the right people, there are resources available to make that learning curve less painful and less expensive. And I think that's one of the things that our firm brings to, to the table. Right. You get uh, you know, partner-level experience, boots-on-the-ground experience, but we need to compete in a, in a regional legal market. Uh, I can't charge New York rates, um, and that's not what we're about. Mm-hmm. By keeping overhead low and by uh, you know, leveraging technology to the fullest and really relying on our network of, of local co- uh, contacts throughout these jurisdictions, we're able to really provide a small, medium-sized company with a great solution, which doesn't uh, implode their bottom line. Right, and it, and it sounds like from what you said earlier, there are institutions and programs and people that are being paid to help the listening audience to our show figure out how to export their products. Where, since we're here in Southern California, they may not be there may not be the same kind of organizations to help you get into LA. Right to get in the LA market, right. right? The federal government doesn't really see that as a big win for them. Sure. If all of a sudden you start selling in Pacoima versus in Santa Ana, but if you can move it to Mexico City, there's some value there from a from a larger scale from the from the country's perspective. It sounds right. like. I mean the the business of America is business, and when we sit down and we look at all the possibilities of getting our products into inter- international markets, it really is a a win win. People are getting great products uh, that can be beneficial to their communities. Uh, we're getting income uh, back into into the U.S., and we're creating jobs and right. supporting our own communities through export. And I, if there was any one driving aspect for that, I think uh, uh, employment creation and maintenance here in the U.S. Is, is a fundamental driver. Right. And the larger the market that you have to address, the not the easier it is, but the more options you have to grow your business. And I see going internationally for a middle market company as growing the opportunity base. Certainly, and in you know just in in the population numbers themselves, Brazil is uh, three hundred million. Uh, you know, Mexico is one hundred and fifty million. No, excuse me, one hundred ninety million consumers, and those consumer classes are rising all the time. Right. And they want everything. They've been denied things for so long. They are hungry to consume. So. Okay. Let them eat iPhones. So if someone would like to learn more about you and your firm, Anthony, how do they do that? Uh, you can uh, contact me via uh, email. My email address is ageralami at geralamilaw.com. Uh, and you can certainly we- uh, visit our website, which is www.geralami-law.com. How would I spell that if I didn't know how to spell geralami? It's G-I-R-O-L-A-M-I. Thank you. What? We just scratched the surface on what you know. We're going to have to uh, ask you back the next time you're in Orange County to go a little bit deeper. I really think this is maybe even a live show from Brandman sometimes because we do live shows in Brandman about exporting. I, I'd like to talk to you about that offline, Anthony. So thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome to our community. Continued success and growth of your firm. Thank you very much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our second commercial break. And then Chuck Wall, CEO and founder of Power Market Group, will be on the show after these words from our valued commercial sponsors. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. 
So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else, and that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs, and it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from our guests. If you're interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. Last month, we delivered over 37, got that, 37 highly targeted sponsor impressions. To learn more, contact our VP of Sales, Rose Chamora, 951 951- Five one five four six six one nine five one five one five four six six one. All of our shows can be found from our website, Critical Mass for F O R Business dot com. Our second guest today is Chuck Wall. He is CEO and founder of Power Market Group. Welcome to the program. Hey Rick, how are you? I think it's Market Power Group, isn't it, Chuck? Yes, it is. I apologize for that. That's not. That's my fault. My producer told me this is the right name, and here I am, all excited to have you on the program, and I, and I muffed it. I tell you. So let's talk about your background, Chuck. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Well, I'm one of those uh, serial entrepreneurs that got started very early in the uh, in the game after a few years of uh, working for the man, as it were, for uh, in the broadcasting industry. I decided to venture out and start my first manufacturing business back in the 1980s. And then over the last however many years that is, I guess we've been fortunate enough to uh, successfully launch uh, seven companies. And, uh, of course, a few along the way that weren't quite as successful. We don't 
We don't really talk about those too much, do we? But uh, we've done everything <clears throat> from manufacturing to radio broadcasting to uh, insurance. And then uh, really much of the last 15 years has been in advertising, marketing, uh, research, technology, and, of course, the Internet. So we've got a interesting uh, way to see business, mainly because we've been involved in it for so many years. So what is Market Power Group then? What is What does your firm do, and how do you help clients, and why would a client choose you over other options? Well, we started the firm back in the uh, late 90s. We, uh, we primarily were focused on cutting-edge marketing built around uh, kind of a foot in the old, uh, the, let's say, uh, mainstream media and advertising, along with this new emerging technology of the Internet and what it was doing, um, as we have matured along with the market, we've really become much more of a problem-solving consulting firm built around the customer. Um, in, in our work over the past 20 years or so, we've always been intimately involved in trying to understand the unmet needs of the customer and what jobs they're really trying to accomplish. <clears throat> and that led us to... Um, interview over 100,000 consumers really over the past decade or so for a a wide variety of clients and industries. So we do a lot of that as well in terms of actually in the field, uh, meeting and talking and watching and listening to to real customers trying to understand what they're all about today. And as you can imagine, it's it's really, uh, (laughs) it's it's an unprecedented time because of the amount of control that uh, customers have today. And that's why it's only one of the reasons, Chuck, and I'm speaking with Chuck Wall. He is CEO and founder of Market Power Group. Uh, One of the reasons why when Peter Broiler, our business partner in uh, Texas, suggested you and your firm to be on Critical Mass, the radio show, I was excited to have you on the program because I I think we're seeing a sea change in how much power consumers now have over the buying cycle and the buying decisions. I know you recently published a book, and, and I'd like you to maybe give us a little bit of sense. Can you talk about the meaning and motivation behind this book? Uh, the, uh, the, the main thrust of that is that we believe that we needed a more modern way to express the old uh, adage that the customer is king. Um, the thing is, is that most of us in business, really the truth is pay lip service to the customer's role. You know, when the customer's not in front of us, our eyes roll and we we mutter certain comments. In fact, it comes down to that we really truly believe in many cases that our customers are just flat out crazy. And they're annoying. As I, right? Or they're annoying. <laughs> well, definitely annoying, but to the point, particularly today with the platform of the Internet, um, we can see example after example of really almost crazed behavior, and I'm not excusing that, but what I am saying is that we really have to reverse that. We have to flip that upside down and really work on developing customer-crazy cultures. So they may be a little uh, off out there in terms of their craziness and demands, but the truth is there are customers, and if we're going to survive, uh, there's not an endless number of them ready to come in the door or go to our websites. Um, So we've got to really lay down the tent poles to build customer crazy cultures that allow us to understand what they are, you know, what they're doing today. And the book really was based upon looking at 
patterns of behavior that we had seen over and over again. And so we call those the nine powers of the uh, of the customer. And we think that they equally fit, whether it's a, a business to a consumer business or a business to business uh, business. It's really true of all industries today because people aren't really compartmentalized. They're really just people. And uh, we have to begin to look at them in that in that way, I think. So uh, what role has technology played in empowering the customer from your research? Wow, that is such a great question because the easiest way I can explain that, let me tell you two kind of quick stories. Um, It doesn't matter, for instance, of your middle market uh, CEOs and owners and presidents that might be listening to this. At 4 o'clock today, for instance, a consumer went on southwest.com and made an easy reservation on Southwest Airlines, you know, in just minutes. At 4.15, if they come to your website, they're going to have the exact same expectations of performance. Right. So if you're, if the functionality is not there, they're gone in 20 seconds. In a more practical way, let's say, in store, you know, it used to be if we had a bad meal at a restaurant, uh, you know, we might get up and leave or not tip well or whatever and tell the story the next day around the, um, uh, simply around the water cooler. Well, today, uh, technology means that with Twitter, I can sit there and tweet to my hundreds or thousands of followers or post on Facebook in real time while I'm having the bad experience. So <laughs> businesses that don't understand this are really shooting themselves in the foot and they have to really engage actively both the positive and the negative. But to do that, they've got to understand uh, really the, the dynamics of this new market. So if someone would like to purchase Customer CEO, How to Profit from the Power of Your Customer, how do they find your book? Uh, easiest way to do it is to go to Amazon.com. Of course, Amazon. Order, of course. That's, that's almost... Yep, or, uh, or they can go to any of their... Uh, Friendly neighborhood bookstores that might still be open. Good, good. Well, that's a good combination. I'm glad you. I'm glad you made that comment. Not the, I sell my books on Amazon.com too. It's a powerful marketplace, and it really connects a lot of good uh, consumers with uh, great product, doesn't it? It's changed the market for sure. Yeah. It has. It's a. It was disruptive to many industries. Uh, the bookstores were the first, though. Uh, we're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. When we come back. Chuck, I'm going to ask you to talk about how customers in the marketplace are actually the people with the most power and how you help middle market companies, because that's who listens to our show, middle market CEOs, realize this and utilize your tools and expertise. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back with Chuck Wall, CEO and founder of Market Power Group, after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. 
a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. And welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. We're having a good time today. I'd like to thank our acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 37,000 shows during the... Oops, that's a lot. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days. We've had over 30,000 visitors to our site. And we here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively here on radio station octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from... Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, or other business-oriented podcasting services. Our second guest today on the show is Chuck Wall. He is the founder and CEO of Market Power Group. Before the break, Chuck, I ask uh, you to be ready to kind of talk a little bit about, from your perspective, how customers in the marketplace are actually the people with the most power and how you help middle market CEOs understand this and then address that. Can, can you give us a little bit of sense for how you're doing that? Absolutely. You know, we all know in business, of course, that the customer has the, the purse strings. They can uh, choose to make or break us according to their ability to, to to continue to do business with us. That's nothing new. What is different is this, uh, let's call it the entitled uh, demanding customer today that can really um, – uh, leave us quicker than ever before, mainly because there's so many competitive choices out there. So what we have developed over the years, we've worked with brands like Caterpillar and Verizon and uh, let's just say larger companies that um, can afford to put resources behind um, understanding the customers, spending a lot of money on market research. 
very often middle market companies don't have those resources. So what we've done is tried to create uh, a series of toolkits that allow uh, middle market companies to understand what the customer wants today, uh, what the customer experience is really about, and what those touch points are. It's so much more than customer service. It really is from the beginning of pre-relationship when they're just beginning to research a product or service to purchase, and then all the way to disposal, everything in between. That's a customer experience and a series of touch points that every uh, company needs to understand. The way you start doing that is with deeper insight. So often with, with middle market companies, I find one of the problems is particularly if it's the founder of the business, they are using old assumptions which are no longer uh, really true. Uh, I was with a, a customer a few weeks ago. He had founded his business 17 years ago, and he was still using metrics from that first couple of years from 17 years ago as his rules of thumb. And once we went into the market and uh, did a little exploration for him, we found, frankly, that it was uh, almost 180 degrees difference. That accounted for his stagnation and really decline over the past few years. So at that point, you can uh, begin to build a new strategy to figure out how are we going to uh, uh, not just retain the clients we have, but really find the more profitable ones that uh, we want for the future. And that's what we do, I think, uh, pretty well uh, at, at every at every level across every kind of organization. And where are your clients? Are they in the great state of Texas? Do you do business with clients uh, outside of Texas? Give us a sense for the we, where you're. Yeah, we yeah we, we we absolutely do. Of course, we're we're here in the heart of Texas in Austin, but uh, we have for many years worked with companies in your fine state of California, as well as all over the the U.S. So. Uh, we're really not restricted uh, at all geographically. It's just whether it's a good fit, whether the things that we do, uh, you know, align with the needs of, of what a, a client might be. Chuck, and I'm speaking with Chuck Wall, who is the founder and CEO of his own firm and a, a, a firm helping middle market companies. Market Power Group is the name of the firm. You, you talked earlier about um, the power that cons- customers have, and I know that you've defined nine powers that customers possess. And I'm wondering if you could, in the time that we have left, just give us a sense for maybe, maybe not all nine, unless you're up for it, but, you know, what are the key powers that um, people that are listening, CEOs of middle market companies, should take away from this interview today, Chuck? Well, let's, let's try it. The number one power today is the power of me. Everything is self-focused around that customer. The second thing they're always continually looking for is value. Value is, is still king no matter what shape the economy is in. People always are looking for better value. Next, they want performance. Whatever you're selling, it's got to perform at the highest level at all times. Next, they're looking for what I call the power of the heart. That is an emotional connectivity with brands they do business with. And then they look for things that are just simple. People are bombarded with complexity, and they're tired of it. The next is the power of yes. They're tired of being always told no by the companies they're trying to do business with. 
Next would be the power of the platform, and that's simply a, a way of describing this two-way conversation that has to happen with uh, the Internet today with whatever tools that you know might be at hand. And the final two are interesting. It's what I call the power of rebellion, and it really is this. Quit taking yourself so seriously. Mm-hmm. Customers want to break the rules. Companies that we see like Harley-Davidson, as an example, or a great one in Kentucky called Big Ass Fans, literally are all about breaking the rules for their customers. It's like you're both in on the joke. And the final and probably most significant, we found that all customers want the power of purpose. And that means they want to align themselves with companies that have very specific values that they can align with. Um, and, and companies that aren't afraid to really put their vision, mission, and values up for all to see and then live by that standard as a way of, of really building servant-led uh, businesses. Customers notice it, they want it, and they will flock to you if you're w- really willing to put that out right in front. Well, that's so a- those are what we believe that's what we believe everyone's looking for today. That's a testament to your ability to, and knowledge and intimacy with them that you could you could uh, go through all nine in a very thoughtful way and still have time left for the interview. Congratulations, Chuck! You must <laughs> you must have been interviewed before about this subject, I guess. Once or twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, is it your experience in the research that you're doing that can that customers are influenced by the relationship they have with vendors in one industry? to begin to expect that in other industries? In other words, if I'm a customer of Amazon or other companies that have a high service model and use technology and all that other stuff, do I begin then to expect that not just for my online experience with companies like Amazon, but for other places that I go and interactions that I have with other suppliers and, and people that I buy from? Absolutely. That's why when you look at really great brands like Ikea or Starbucks and just in terms of the you know the kind of service ideas they've been able to bring to a really you know commoditized kind of market, if now they come in your place of business, no matter what your size, their expectations are really the same. Um, so they know you know customers no longer really segregate these in their minds, and um, you know if you're Joe's discount laundry service. Just because it has the word discount doesn't mean that they're going to cut you any break in terms of their expectations. And that seems to me to be the opportunity then for a middle market CEO is she should look to other firms outside or his or her industry for innovation and bring it back into your industry before any, you know, if you're only looking at your immediate competitors, you may be stifling your own innovation because there may be some great things that are happening in different industries, and your customer may be experiencing those. And so, by bringing them into your industry, you can resonate with your customer, but you can also outmaneuver your competitors who may not, maybe aren't looking so far afield. Yeah, as an entrepreneur, I had to learn the hard way that really the phrase "best practice" was really irrelevant. What matters is next practice. And if I can get out there exactly as you've described, Rick, see what, you know, how these different businesses unrelated to what's going on in my field, what they're doing, and then what can I combine that's unique with my current offering to really make me different. Now, the difference is today, too, is that nothing, you know, nothing's in a vacuum. So you have to be prepared that, your competitor is going to rip that off 
as quickly as possible. So innovation is never done. It's a, you know, it's the old thing about once you get into the river, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta keep paddling, and that's that's the fun as well as the challenge of business today. How do we keep innovating? Uh, and we do it by first understanding the needs of those customers and then consistently innovating in what we bring them. Chuck, if someone would like to learn more about your firm, Market Power, how do they, Market Power Group, excuse me, how do they find you yeah. online? Very easy. They just go to marketpowergroup.com and they can uh, read a little bit more about us. And if they would like to, to visit with me, they can certainly do that. They can either reach me at chuck.wall at Market Power Group, or if they go to the site, they can easily email right from there, and someone will get back to them uh, right away. Well, I want to thank you for being on the program, being a friend of the program, and an extension of critical mass into the Texas area from the community's perspective. You, you were a thoughtful guest, and you're creating content that we can all learn from. So thank you very much, Chuck Wall, for being on our show today. Thank you, Rick. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I would like to thank our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club of Costa Mesa. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, Paul Roberts. Crystal Nunley is our producer. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Social media manager is Asia Celestino. Our live events coordinator is Melissa Pedanti. Our VP of sales is Rose Chamora. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for Business, or maybe you want to refer a future guest or advertise on our program, visit criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.